So I have to just be real with you for a sec. My wife has given a lot for me to serve with you as part of your church board secretary. And she's given a lot for me to be up here before you this morning. Without her, I wouldn't be able to do it. With that said, I've worked on this sermon for a little bit, and it almost came to a complete rewrite. The reason why is because God spoke to me. And he said, you know, I don't, I want you to go this direction with it. And I said, okay. Because it's his church. So what I speak to you today is his words. Over the last couple of weeks, we've spoken about grown-up Bible stories. And last week, Sean spoke with us about Moses. He gave us basically Moses' youth all the way up. How he was born, how he survived, and how he didn't want to speak. But God chose him to. God said, I will be there, I'll tell you where to go, I'll tell you what to say, and I'll tell you what to do. Well, this week is no different. We're still speaking about Moses and about the ten plagues. Now, when I say the plagues or the ten plagues, we all know what we're talking about because these plagues caused great devastation of epic proportion throughout Egypt. And if I say plagues, ten plagues, biblical plagues, it doesn't matter. We all know what we're talking about. The Egyptians, like many pagan uh, pagan cultures, had gods that they worshipped. They had what we could really say nature gods. They had sun gods. They had river gods. They had a moon god. They had... Crop gods, cattle gods. I mean, the list really goes on. So, it's no wonder that what we learned last week in Exodus 5-2 where Pharaoh says, Who is this Lord? I do not know. And I will not let Israel go. Those are some really powerful words coming from a human And this was the beginning of a war, maybe. Of a challenge to show whose God is more powerful. Pharaoh's gods or the God of the children of Israel. So we're going to look at the ten plagues today. It spans a lot of chapters in the book of Exodus. It goes from seven through 12, we're not going to read it all. And I know you're all going, trust me, I am too. I don't want to bore you with my reading. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and summarize and read a few verses. And we'll, we'll talk about it. So the first plague was that of turning water into blood. Now when we look at this, it was all water. It wasn't just the Nile. The scriptures tell us that streams, canals, ponds, reservoirs, and even vessels of wood and stone, the water would be turned to blood. 
Think about that. Water is turned to blood. We need water to live. Water was the Egyptians' economy. Millions of fish died. It reeked. And Pharaoh was told that by this, you will know that I am the Lord. But one thing the scripture tells us is that Pharaoh's magicians were actually able to duplicate this. They were able to turn water to blood. So Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he didn't let the Israelites go. So that brings us to plague number two. Plague number two was bringing the frogs from the Nile. This particular plague was a judgment upon the frog-headed goddess of birth. Frogs in Egypt were considered sacred. They weren't to be killed. They were brought up from the Nile and they invaded all of Egypt, all their homes. And the scriptures tell us that the frogs died. They were put in piles in the courtyards. And they reeked. Wow. And again, Pharaoh obviously doesn't learn. His heart was hardened. And he didn't let the Israelites go. So then we have the third plague, that of gnats. This plague was a judgment upon the Egyptians' god of the desert. This particular plague, unlike the other two, were not able to be duplicated by Pharaoh's magicians. And they actually tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So maybe they're starting to learn. But no. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. And he brings upon a fourth plague. Flies. This is a judgment on the Egyptian fly god. Now you notice I'm just saying what they represent. I'm doing that because if I tried to pronounce these names, I would just completely embarrass myself. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you what they represent. In this plague, God clearly shows a division between his people and the people of Egypt. Because the scriptures tell us that no flies swarmed and bothered the people of Israel. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't like flies. <laughs> we live on a ranch. We have horses. We have cattle. We have chickens. And guess what they bring? Five get in my house, and I feel like there's a million in there. Yeah. And you can't get rid of them. So I would be okay with not having flies swarm my area. But Pharaoh still didn't listen. He still didn't let Israelites go. So along comes the fifth plague, and this is the death of livestock. This was a judgment on the god and goddess of cattle, and they were actually represented and looked like cattle. As with the earlier plagues... God protected his people, and none of their cattle died. Just the cattle of the Egyptians. So we can see that God is steadily destroying the economy of Egypt, but at the same time, he is showing his ability to protect and provide for those who obey him. Something I found interesting that the scriptures tell us is that he investigated 
Pharaoh investigated this. He was so curious about this plague that he sent investigators to look at the Israelites and spy on them. Are they suffering like we're suffering? And they weren't. And it resulted in a hardening of his heart. And he didn't let the Israelites go. The sixth plague is boils. This was a a judgment against several of the Egyptian gods that dealt with health and disease. This time the Bible says that the magicians couldn't even appear before Moses because of the boils. So clearly these religious leaders were powerless to the God of Israel. Before God sends the next three plagues, Pharaoh was given a special message from God. We're going to actually look at that message. And it is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 9, verse 13, the latter part of 13, through uh, 19. Sorry, I had this set up in technology. I have it up there, but I can't read it. It's too small. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you all and your of your people in a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power against my people, and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time, I'm sorry, show you the power of my of my people, and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and still out in the field, and they will die. So this special message that Pharaoh is given is saying that these plagues that are about to come are going to be worse. Not that the ones they already had weren't bad, These are just going to be more severe. They were also designed to convince Pharaoh and all his people that there is no one like me in all the earth. There is no one like the God of Israel in all the earth. And he says this, he says to Pharaoh that he was put in his position. Pharaoh was put in his position by God so that his name could be declared through all the earth. But then in verse 19, God shows his grace, doesn't he? He shows his grace by telling Pharaoh what he's going to do. And says, whatever these other plagues destroyed of yours that survived, whatever cattle, whatever crops you have left, bring them inside. Because if you don't, it's all going to be dead. That's a real show of grace. Pharaoh didn't listen. Some of his people did, but Pharaoh didn't listen. And then the seventh plague was brought. 
And this was against the sky goddess, the crop fertility god, and the storm god. This hail, as the scriptures tell us, was unlike anything that had ever been, been seen before in Egypt. It was accompanied by lightning that stretched through the ground, and it devastated everything in its path. But And again, with this plague, miraculously, the children of, uh, of Israel were saved. Before God brings the next plague, he tells Moses that they'll be able to tell the Israelites, would be able to tell their children the things that they'd seen God do in Egypt and it, how it showed God's power. Then comes the eighth plague. Now the eighth plague locusts, anything that survived the hailstorm, like your rye and your wheats that are late, that would, would be what the locusts would affect. So the locusts come, and they devour all the crops. There would be no harvest in Egypt that year. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness. The scriptures tell us that it was dark for three days and that you couldn't see people walking around in the streets. That is an unearthly darkness. You probably couldn't see the hand in front of your face. Now, when we go outside at night here, we have the moon, we have the stars, and it lights our path. This was complete darkness. This was a direct judgment on the sun god of Egypt. But the Israelites, they apparently had smud. Because they had light. We can see with these plagues that daily life in Egypt was brought to a halt, to a standstill. Think about it. Imagine that land broken, beaten, worn in the aftermath of the most devastating disaster that was ever experienced. Well, what is the point? What was God's purpose? What was his aim? I mean, it's God, right? He can do anything. He can do the impossible. If he's already performing miracles, why not, why not just put the Egyptians to sleep for a week? Let the Israelites walk out unnoticed. Why not do one catastrophic plague that tips the balance in one fell swoop? Why did it need to be plague after plague of wreckage? Well, there's many reasons. But there's a couple that I can think of. One, it was to show the Israelites that their God is very much alive and absolutely worthy of their worship. And number two, to show the Egyptians that their God was nothing in comparison to the God of Israel. The tenth plague, the last plague that we're going to discuss we're going to read on that one. Because this is the point that 
needs to be driven home. And that's in Exodus chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And you can follow along on the screen if you can read it. I guess I made the font too small. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed of the peop- uh, toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the most ro- the meat roasted over fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and humans. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day through the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. 
that is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the fourteenth day until the evening of the twenty-first day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter that land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who is in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders and kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread, the dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept a vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are kept vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. That's all we're going to read with that. God gave a lot of instructions there. Very specific instructions. This particular plague was a judgment on a God that the Egyptians looked to as a protector of children. God was teaching the Israelites a very deep spiritual lesson here. And this lesson points to Christ. Unlike the other plagues which the Israelites survived by virtue of their identity as God's people, they actually had to have an action of faith 
to be protected in this plague. God commanded each family to take an unblemished male lamb, slaughter it, gave him specific instructions on how to cook it, but importantly, he said, make sure you take the blood and put it on the doorframe around the house and don't leave till morning. God then tells them that he's going to send a destroyer through the land of Egypt. He's going to kill the firstborn male of every family, human or animal. And the only protection that you'd have is the blood of the lamb on the doorframe. With that protection, that destroyer would pass over the house and anyone inside would be untouched by the plague. That's where the term Passover comes from. Passover was a memorial of that night for the Egyptians, for the Israelites, when they were saved from Egypt. And they were to celebrate that. The Egyptians were not protected. And as the scriptures tell us, there was loud wailing throughout the land because of the lives of the loved ones that were lost. By the time the Israelites left Egypt, they had a clear picture of not only God's power, but of his protection and of his plan for them. For those who are willing to believe, they have convincing evidence that they uh, serve the one and true living God. Sadly, some still didn't believe. And that led to other trials and lessons by God, which we'll hear about in the next coming weeks. The result for the Egyptians, however, of, and all the others of that region who didn't listen, was a dread of the God of Israel. Even after the tenth plague, if we read further on the scriptures, he lets Israel, the Israelites go. They reach the Red Sea. Pharaoh sends his chariots after the Israelites to bring them back. God saves them again. He makes a path through the Red Sea. The scriptures tell us it is on dry ground. Have you ever walked on ground that the water just dried up? It's not dry. If it's been wet long enough, your foot sinks in it, you get stuck, you get it all over your sandals or shoes, whatever you're wearing. Scriptures tell us they passed on dry ground. Wow. How? Well, I'll tell you. God does impossible things. Jesus became our Passover when he died on the cross, removing the bondage of sin from us. As God told Moses to tell the Israelites that they could tell their children of the things that God did in Israel, in, uh, in Egypt, and see the power that he displayed, we too can look at those events today and know that we can confirm our faith and our fear of the one and only true living God, the judge and ruler of all the earth. When I think about our church, in this time of transition, and the news that we just received from Pastor Sean, 
I think, well, where's our church going? Will I stand before you and tell you? I don't know. But God does. God does impossible things. I don't know his plan. You don't know his plan. He knows his plan. And he will save us. He will protect us. And he will bring us through. We just have to believe and have faith. That's all I have for you today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we so humbly approach your throne. We thank you so much for the lessons that you teach us through the scriptures. We thank you for being with us in your house as we worship you. We know that you are the true living God that we can worship, depend on. We love you. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made so that we could have our sins removed. We love you so much. We thank you for all the impossible things that you do in our lives every day. And it's all these things that we pray through your son, Jesus. Amen.